Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would illuminate our hearts this morning that You would cause Your Word to be planted deeply within our hearts and that it would bear fruit. Please help us see You. Help us seek first the Kingdom of God and Your righteousness. We pray this in Your Son Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, We've been hearing Jesus preach to His disciples. Jesus, by many in our day and age, is seen to be almost irrelevant. 
Why should I listen to a teacher who taught over two or 2,000 years ago? His words are outdated. His, his teaching is not relevant to my current situation. However, one read through not just this Sermon on the Mount, but one read through the Bible, and you will see that it's actually extremely relevant to what we go through. In 1948, a poet titled a six-part poem, The Age of Anxiety. Maybe you've heard that before. But long before this poem was written and would be called The Age of Anxiety, Jesus addressed the issue of anxiety himself. He addresses a few of the issues that anxiety might bring for his disciples. You see, this is the incredible richness of the Bible. The same problems that we face right now are the same exact problems that Jesus was addressing in His life. This truly shows us that the Bible is enough for us. So as we're looking at this passage this morning, we will see there are two main points in verses 19 through 24, Jesus will tell His disciples to not lay up treasures on earth, but to lay them up in heaven. That is the safest place to lay up any treasure. There is no bank more secure. But the temptation that we face will be to lay up treasures on earth. Our temptation is to be more concerned about food, about drink, about clothes. And he's going to argue or encourage his disciples, don't lay up treasures here on earth. Because when we lay up treasures here on earth, there is a war that's going on in our hearts. There's a battle going on in our hearts. There is a war between serving God and serving money going on in our hearts. And Jesus will clearly tell us, you cannot serve two masters. One will win the day. And because of that, Jesus will then go on in verses 25 through 34 to tell his disciples to not be anxious. He actually tells his disciples this three times. Therefore, do not be anxious. Therefore, do not be anxious. Therefore, do not be anxious. He will call His disciples to a radical trust in Him and not the things of this world. So the aim of this passage this morning is to show us that we are to fight against 
the anxiety that things of this earth will bring up by seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We're going to see this in two ways. We're going to see the call to serve God. So we fight against the anxiety by serving God. We seek first the kingdom of God by serving God. And then we will see this by trusting God. So in our first point, verses 18 through 24, we are looking at what it means to serve God. Jesus tells, um, tells first one negative command and then one positive. Do not lay up treasures on earth. Do not lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. One negative, do not. One positive, but do this. He tells them, don't lay up treasures on earth because it can easily be destroyed. It can easily be stolen. At any moment, any moment, clothes, food, possessions can be destroyed or taken from us forever. A shirt that's been sitting in your closet or in your dresser drawer can be eaten by moths. The ugliest looking butterfly there is can destroy your clothes. Rust. And in this context, what Jesus is talking about is not when your child or a certain child goes into the garage and grabs a screwdriver during fall time and places it in the grass and loses it. And then in the springtime, the father finds it and it's all rusted. This type of rust that Jesus is talking about in this context means that you discover that mice or rodents have found their way into your food and have destroyed your food. At any moment, you could come home to your front door being wide open to you going into your house hoping nothing's stolen and seeing your 90-inch flat screen TV still there, but the 62-inch in your bedroom gone and come away with, well, it must have been a one-man job because the 90-inch was too big for him to take. Do not lay up treasures on earth because they can be destroyed. They can be stolen. Jesus goes on to say, lay up treasures in heaven. Moth will not get to it. Critters will not find a way in. And even the greatest of thieves will not be able to pull off any type of heists to steal the treasure that is laid up in heaven. Jesus is going to drive the point further for us. He's going to ask us and He's going to say, your heart will show where your treasure lies. Your heart. Your heart's going to give you away. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
What Jesus is saying is, where you lay up your treasures, where your heart is. If your treasure is here on earth, your heart is here on earth. If your treasure is in heaven, then your heart is in heaven. He is calling out the ambition to store up a lot of things here on earth. We don't need one fishing pole, but ten. We need five cars. We need a TV for every single room. We need enough clothes so that people don't notice we're wearing the same thing twice. We need 15 pairs of shoes. We need enough food to last the apocalypse. If our heart is earth-directed, then we will lay up things here on earth. But if our heart is God-directed, then we will lay up treasures in heaven. And, and our heart does a great job of trying to convince us that it is God-directed, but we need to come to the reality that the Bible is clear that the heart is deceitful above all else. So it would probably do us good that when we leave here this morning, we look at our bank tracks, transactions. We go on to Amazon and we look at our history for the orders that we've been to take an inventory on the amount of things that we have here on earth and ask the question, why? And if our answer is, because I can, that may be an indication of where our heart is. So Jesus is going to continue as a gracious Savior and Lord peeled back to the layers of our hearts and help us see what's underneath. He makes this strange transition from saying, do not lay up treasures on earth, lay them up in heaven. Your heart will give you away. If you want to know where your heart is, look where your treasure is. And he makes a strange transition to talk about the eye. He says that the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye here is referred to as the lamp because wherever the, the eye looks, it illuminates for the heart to take in. And Jesus tells us that there are two ways that the eye reacts, either healthy or unhealthy, good or bad. When the eye is healthy, it is full of light and it takes in the light. But when the eye is unhealthy, it takes in the darkness. When our eye is God-directed, it will take in the light and lay up treasures in heaven. But when it is dark, 
It will lay up treasures here on earth. Jesus is trying to warn His disciples here of the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet. How quickly are we to become coveters where we are told to make vision boards, to cut out the things that you desire and that you want, and to then go and get it, to live at a means that we cannot afford because we feel that if we have that thing, it will make us more acceptable to the people around us. It will make us more happy. And so our hearts covet. They long after things. Is your eye coveting the things of this world? Wanting to lay up treasures here on earth? Or is it God-directed, aiming to lay up treasures in heaven? Jesus is trying to drive this point even further as He, he warns us, if the light in you is darkness. Isn't that a strange sentence there? If the light in you is darkness, how can light be darkness? He's saying, if we can see with our eyes, we can hear with our ears, and say with our mouths that it is better to store up treasures in heaven and yet still be tempted to covet after the things of this world, to lay up treasures here on earth. Jesus says, how great is the darkness in our hearts! How great are our covetous hearts. The sin inside of us must be more sinful than we realize. The sin inside of us must be deeper than we know. And so here then is what Jesus is trying to get at in this first section. No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God or money. This is what Jesus is getting at. He's not just getting at the things of this world, but he's getting at the root issue of the love of money that is in our hearts. The reason why we store up treasures here on earth the reason why we covet is because of the love of money that is in our hearts. We cannot have two masters. We cannot have two gods. The God of the Bible is unwilling to step down from His throne and let you place someone else or something else on that throne. We cannot serve God or money. One of them will win out the day, Jesus says. And if you are laying up treasures here on earth, then you are a servant of money. Money is your master. Money is your God. And let me tell you this, money is a cruel Master. Money gives you problems 
and promises that it will never keep. Isn't it interesting that that even those who haven't been illuminated to the powerful transformation of the gospel can see this? Isn't this something that we see in movies? That a husband and wife living in poverty think that if they just had money, then money would solve their problems, that it would make them happy. And so the husband goes out to try to live and get money and things to provide for his family. For him to find that success, to neglect his wife, to neglect his kids, all the while then we see the tragic scene of the husband getting ready to go to work and the wife having the kids in the car with the bags packed and she's ready to leave. For the husband to cry out and say, I thought this stuff was enough for you. What else could I do? And she says back to him, I didn't want this stuff. I just wanted your love. You don't love me. So if the world sees this, how much more should we as God's children be aware of the dangers of loving money? Do you serve God or money? This is the question Jesus is asking His disciples. He is warning His disciples here of. So some of us may be thinking right now, well, does that mean that I shouldn't have money? I can think of that one story in the Bible where Jesus is talking to this guy who's called the rich young ruler. And Jesus tells him that he needs to sell everything, get it all gone, and go give it to the poor. So does that mean that I get rid of all of my possessions, all of my things, and give it to the poor? Well, I don't think that's what Jesus is is saying here. What Jesus is warning His disciples of is that the love of money, the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What Jesus is trying to point out right here is money your God. This is what He's doing with the rich young ruler. He's drawing out the idol that's in the rich young ruler's hearts. So here's the incredible reality before us. God is not a cruel master. In fact, He's a gracious, compassionate, kind master. And Jesus is calling His disciples into a radical servitude to use the financial resources they have to serve God. So what Jesus is encouraging them with is don't try to outpace yourself and live at a life that you cannot sustain. Live in an ordinary, normal way and give to God and serve God with your money. Fight against the covetousness in your heart. Jesus actually frees us from the cares of this world. He frees us from the anxiety that money chains us to. Jesus is calling His disciples into this greater relationship where He is our Lord and we serve Him. And get this, by serving God, He promises us that we lay up treasures in heaven that do not Fade, do not rust, 
and are not stolen. The treasures that were promised here on earth fade. The treasures we are promised in God's kingdom do not. You see, when we serve money, everything we lay up on earth will be destroyed. But when we serve God, everything we lay up will last into eternity and beyond. This is why as we turn to our second point in verses 25 through 34, Jesus is calling us to a deep trust in God. He already is feeling the tension and the anxiety start to ooze out of the disciples. As He tells them, Therefore, do not be anxious. Jesus is saying, don't worry. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about drink. Don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about things. Don't worry about things because life is actually more than these things. Life is more than food. It's more than the body. It's more than clothes. These are the basic necessities of life. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about the most basic necessities of life. And He's going to illustrate this to us with two illustrations. He's going to tell us to look to the sky and look to the dirt or the ground. He's going to then have some questions for us to reflect on. The first illustration, Jesus tells us to look to the birds of the air. The birds don't go to the store to buy seeds. They don't go out to till the soil and sow the seeds. The birds don't go out during the great harvest to cut down the crops. They, they don't then go out to gather the crops and bring them into the barns. The birds do not sow, they do not reap, and they do not gather. Yet, our Heavenly Father feeds the birds. The birds! The birds that when a window is too clean will fly right into it and kill themselves. God feeds the birds. And how much more value are you? who are created in God's image, who bear His likeness, are you of not more value than the birds? Yes. Yes, you are. God will provide what you need when you need it. Which is why Jesus asks this follow-up questions. Who can add a single hour to his lifespan? In, in, in the literal trans, who can add 18 inches to his life? Does worrying 
help you extend your life? Does looking back at the things that cause shame and worry cause you to extend your life? Does thinking about what the future may hold help you to extend your life? Has God not numbered our days? So does this mean that we then spend the rest of our lives just sitting in our chairs, waiting for a knock on our door for the pizza delivery man, saying we had an extra pizza and we just randomly chose your house? Is this what Jesus is advocating here? No. Because the birds still go out. They flap their wings. They get the food. They peck at it. And they eat it. They still work to get their food. But they are given the right amount at the right time. And so will the Lord, our great provider, provide the right amount of food for you when you need it. God will provide for your needs for you exactly when you need it. This is why when Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer, give us our daily bread, He is telling us, pray for what you need right now. This should be our prayer in the morning. Give us this day our daily bread. The second illustration we turn our heads to is, now Jesus is saying, look at the lilies, look at the flowers of the field and how they grow. Jesus is asking if anyone is anxious about your clothing. Are you anxious about your clothing? Look to the lilies. The flowers don't toil, they don't spin, and yet they are more beautiful than anything that King Solomon could have chosen to wear. Last week, Sharice brought home some tulips that had not budded yet. They hadn't come forward. And so, as I was sitting in my chair reading one morning, I was looking and thinking, I wonder what they will look like. Within one day, my imagination was put to rest, and I could see the, the beautiful spinning and toil that God had done to them as the bottom of the flower was this bright red and as it went up, it turned into this yellow. Now, as I was sitting in my chair, I didn't see the flowers pull out any sewing kits and start to sew themselves together. This was an act of God. He put these flowers together. He made them this beautiful red and yellow. And yet what God is saying is those flowers, they did not toil or spin for their clothing. I provided them. I did. God grew them. He gave them the beautiful colors. And so Jesus follows up this illustration with another question. If God clothes the flowers which are alive today and the next used as fire kindling in ovens, won't He clothe you, you who bear His image, you who is His child? So then why are we anxious? 
because of our little trust in God. O you of little faith. Our anxiety to lay things up here on earth is an all-out assault against our trust in God as our provider. Do you trust God to provide exactly what you need when you need it? No more, no less, but exactly what you need? Because of this, Jesus reminds them a second time, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about the food or the drink or the clothes. The Gentiles seek to store up treasures here on earth and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows what you need. I remember being a kid and as my mom would take me to one of the retail stores that was in our town, I would immediately go straight to the shoe section. Most kids would go to the video games. I went to the shoes. I remember one of the reasons I would go to the shoes is because I would be so jealous and envious of what other kids wore. My heart longed after the shoes that they got to lace up. And yet, I never had to worry or be anxious that I would go to school without shoes. How much more does our Heavenly Father know to give us good gifts? To give us exactly what we need when we need them. So how do we fight against anxiety produced by things of this world that causes us to trust little in God? Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But how do I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? We, we seek, as Paul calls us to, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We, we seek out the kingdom first by growing in Christ-likeness and holiness. We seek out the kingdom of God first by being citizens of heaven. We seek the kingdom first by being more concerned about the mission of God than our own earthly mission. We seek to be consumed by God. When we seek first the kingdom of God, when we seek first the righteousness of Christ, it shows that we trust God. Jesus gives one last call to not be anxious. And this time, instead of food, drink, and clothes, 
He tells us to not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough anxiety for itself. Actually, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There will be enough trouble for you tomorrow. We have no idea what tomorrow brings. We could receive a phone call that would change the rest of our lives. I still remember sitting in the doctor's office with Sharice as the midwife comes in and says, there are some concerning things that we're seeing about your baby. As your heart drops into your stomach and you can see the person's mouth move and yet not comprehend what they are saying, that trouble was enough for that day. However, here is the blessing of finding your salvation in Christ. This is the blessing of seeking the kingdom first, finding your salvation in Christ and Christ alone, seeing that you are a sinner that can't control the outcome of tomorrow, and so you repent and put your trust in Christ. You flee from the wrath of God and trust in Christ. You confess your sins. And this is the blessing that then comes, is that each and every single day from that point forward, you are met with new mercies every morning. Every morning. You do not rely on leftover mercies from Saturday. Once your eyes started to flutter, you started to wake up, God met you with new mercies. Tomorrow has its own trouble. Today has enough of its own. And yet God will meet you with His grace today for every trouble that comes. Jesus is calling His disciples to a radical servitude and trust. Serve Me with your life. Look different than the world by serving Me. And yes, the worry will come. But seek first the kingdom of God. And all things will be added to you. If you long to be met with new mercies each morning, turn to Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for being a merciful and kind God who meets us with new mercies every morning. We pray this in Your Son Jesus' name. Amen.